At the beginning of the service, Mandy Tejada read the passage out of the Gospel of Matthew for us for our fourth Advent reading this, this season. And that passage is also our sermon text for the day. The, the passage is the story about the slaughter of all the baby boys in Jerusalem by King Herod. Um, and, and it's interesting, if you've been in ministry as long as I have, it's impossible not to repeat the passages. There's only so many passages I can preach on at Christmas time. And I've re- I preach on this passage uh, several times. But my guess is that it, it, it tends to be a little bit complicated. So my, my guess is that, that many of you won't remember um, how all this applies and how all this comes together. Um, and, and so we're going to do that. But I want, wanted to remind you, the last time I preached on this passage, I, I, I made comment that, that the Christmas cards this time of year um, always have these nice, wonderful, warm depictions of the Christmas, but they never include um, today's passage, the slaughtering of these young children, which is the reality in, in, of what is going on. But there's not just the slaughter, there's hope in this passage. And so uh, Carol Jones made me a Christmas card with this picture on it. You have it up on the, up on the screen? I think it's, yeah, it's up there. She made me this Christmas card. You can see the blood on the sword, the mother and the child, and, and inside the card she, she sent this Christmas greeting. Now that may seem morbid, but it's, the reality is this was the first Christmas. And so we need to consider today how all this ties in and why, why it matters to us and what it has to do with us today. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, your holy word. I thank you for the opportunity to stand here and try to explain um, how it applies to us. So I pray that you would give us attentive ears. You'd help me to speak clearly um, and that you would be glorified and honored as we worship you today and as we prepare to come back and worship you tonight. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, the last couple of weeks, we have seen that the prophecies in the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in the New Testament are, are not simply magical predictions regarding the future, but rather they are more so, these Old Testament prophecies are more so about his, what, what you would call historical identification between the, the past and the future. Now I'm going to say that again, all right? The prophecies of the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in the New Testament are not simply magical predictions of the future, but rather they are more so about historical identification between the past and, and the future. All right? And, and the prophecy that Matthew quotes in today's passage that Mandy read for us just a little bit ago is no different. It's Jeremiah chapter, it, it, the prophecy actually comes from Jeremiah uh, 31, verse 15. Look, look at it with me again. It says, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, while Matthew applies this passage to the slaughter of the babies in Jerusalem, the words themselves were actually spoken, first spoken 600 years before Christ was even born. And, and here's something that makes it even a little bit more complicated. The roots of this, this, this prophecy 
actually find themselves in the life of a woman by the name of Rachel who lived 1,700 years before Jesus was born. So if I haven't lost you already, <laughs> all right, uh, let me say this. Like last week, we're looking at a passage today that, that does appear to be quite mysterious and, and confusing. And so like last week, I'm going to ask you once again to work with me a little bit today because I, I think that this passage really isn't that hard to understand. Um, I think I can walk us through this passage so that it'll make sense and so that you'll see how it applies to you and why this is important to us today. All right? All right. Now, to understand this passage, I got to go back. We got to go all the way back to Genesis. We've got to go all the way back 1,700 years before Christ was born. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of Cliff Notes version of history here, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to speak of things that you're, many of you are familiar with. I'll be leaving some things out that many of you think I ought to add, but, but let me say this. In the, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, there, is, there was a man by the name of Jacob, and Jacob had two wives, and he had two concubines. And of those four women, Rachel, uh, his wife Rachel was the one that, that he cherished. His wife Rachel was the one that he loved the most. Now, while she was very eager to, to give him children, she had real problems conceiving. And while in the midst of her infertility issues, she had to sit by and watch these other three women have one child after another. In fact, th those three women gave Jacob ten sons in all, in addition to daughters. Now, it wasn't until after years and years of heartache and sorrow that Rachel was finally able to conceive. And she gave birth to two sons. Now, the first son she had, his name was, was, was Joseph. And, and like his mother, he was also his father's favorite. Of all his sons, Joseph was the one that Jacob loved the most. Now, she also gave birth to another son, and his name was Benjamin. All right? But here's the thing. She died right after giving birth to Benjamin. And we are told that, that she was buried in a place called Ramah. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit. Over the next few decades, through a series of all kinds of crazy events, and because of a, a severe famine in the land, Jacob, along with his sons and all their families, because they had grown up by now, were forced to move to Egypt to survive. And while they were in Egypt, the Lord blessed Jacob's sons their families grew, they multiplied so much so that they went from being a large family to being a small nation of people. But the Egyptians, we know, turned them into slaves and made them into a nation of slaves. And this went on for 400 years, one generation after the next. That was until, let's fast forward again, through another series of crazy and miraculous events, the Lord delivered these people from their bondage. He, he led these people out of Egypt, and he solidified them as a nation. And then when he was in the desert, he established a covenant with them. And then eventually, over time, he brought them to the promised land, which was then divided up between the descendants of those 12 sons. The, the, the promised land was divided up between the 12 tribes. All right? Now... Let's fast forward again. Over time, the 12 tribes divided themselves into two separate nations. 
There was the northern king of Israel and there was the southern kingdom of, of Judah. Now this is important to understand and here's what you need to understand to understand this prophecy. Joseph, of these two sons of, of Rachel, Joseph, his descendants were part of the northern kingdom. And Benjamin, his descendants were part of the southern kingdom. All right? Now without getting into it too deeply... Let me just say this, and trust me on this, you can check me later. The Bible often depicts Joseph as the patriarchal figurehead of the northern kingdom. And it also depicts Benjamin as the patriarchal figurehead of the southern kingdom. All right? And therefore, that makes Rachel, their mother, the mother of these two boys, the matriarchal figure of both the northern and southern kingdoms. Make sense? All right, enough of you are shaking your heads yes. I can't review it for those who are not following. Let's fast forward a little bit more. As history played out, both of these kingdoms rebelled against God. Both of these kingdoms rejected the covenant. And both of these kingdoms became subject to the judgment of the Lord. Now, as part of their judgment, they were both invaded by foreign nations. Now the first to go was the northern kingdom. They were invaded by the Assyrians and taken off into captivity and killed at 722 years before Jesus was born. All right? And then about 135 years later, the southern kingdom was defeated by the Babylonians in 586. All right? Now in their defeats, one of two things typically happened. Some of them were subject to mass executions and others were carried off and hauled off into exile to foreign nations. And the staging place, here's where, here's where this makes sense, the staging place for the deportations of both the northern and the southern kingdom was located in a small town along the border of both the northern and southern kingdom. The, the, the staging place for these exiles of both the northern and the southern kingdom took place in a place called Ramah. Ramah was a prison camp. It, it was a place where, where the foreign conquerors ordered the defeated multitudes to assemble for their deportation. It, it, to be honest, it was very similar to, to the German gulags or prison camps or, or clearinghouses of World War II. I mean, you've probably seen the pictures of trains filled with Holocaust victims, of families being separated from one another. While some are deported, others are sent to Nazi death camps, right? And that was Rama. That's what Rama was. Here's something else, and I, I don't know if you've made that connection or not yet. But as I said earlier, Rama was also the place where Rachel... The matriarch of these two nations was laid to rest. Rama was, Rachel's tomb was located right there. All right? Now the prophet Jeremiah, he was part of that second deportation. He was, he was part of the Babylonian exile. He was carted off to Babylon. And he draws, in, in Jeremiah 31, he draws a, a figurative picture of Rachel. As if she's still alive. 
this woman who so desperately wanted children is now watching as some of them are being killed and others are being driven away to foreign soil. And as she listens to the weeping of her children, she also weeps uncontrollably, unconsolably. And Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15, look at him again. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So that's the context of, of, of this verse, of this prophecy. That's the original context, all right? So now that we know the historical context of the prophecy, and now we know how it was declared 600 years before the birth of Christ, but before we go back to Matthew, before we go back to the passage that Mandy read for us, earlier let's first look at the bigger context let's look at the broader picture that surrounds jeremiah 31 verse 15 all right well in in, in 31 15 rachel depicted rachel's depicted as a mother of these two kingdoms a mother who who weeps for her children in that whole context in, in jeremiah 31 verse 9 God says, look at it with me, it says God says that he is their, while she's the mother, God says he is the father. And he is a father who loves them, according to chapter 31, verse 3, he's, he's a father who loves his children with an everlasting love. All right, do you see that? And, and through Jeremiah, God declares this. He says, even though they're being scattered now, even though his children are being taken off into exile, there will come a time when he will, according to verse 10, he says he will gather them once again. Even though they're being hauled off in exile, according to verse 13, he will one day turn their mourning into joy. Even though they're being hauled off in exile, he says one day, there will come a day in, in verse 31 that he will make it, he says, there will come a day when I will make a new covenant with, with both of these kingdoms. And then in verse 35, Listen to what God says. He says, the one who, who makes this promise is also the one who makes the sun shine during the day and the moon and the stars shine at night. The one who makes this promise is the Lord of, of all creation. See that? Now, if you, if you continue to read on out of chapter 31, all the way up and through chapter 33, you'll see that the Lord continues to declare this promise of great hope. He continues to promise that the days are coming when, according to verse 14, 33, 14, there's coming a day when he will fulfill all the gracious promises that he had made to the house of, of, Israel, to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. He said there will come a day in verse 15 when he will make a, look at this, there will come a day, he says, when, when, he, when he says, when, when he will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. In other words, he will bring back one of David's descendants. A king who will do what is just and what is right. I hope you're still following me. So with all that in mind, now we can go back to the passage that Mandy read for us just a little bit ago. The beginning of the service. You see, Matthew knew his Old Testament history. He knew the sorrow of God's children. Matthew was fully aware of the promises that are contained in the chapters of, of Jeremiah 31 through 33. He also knows about the righteous king that the Lord has promised will one day come. Now when Herod orders the execution 
of these baby boys in and around Jerusalem. And when Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31.15, he's saying, listen, this is Ramah all over again. When he quotes Jeremiah 31.15, he wants us to see the connection between Rachel's sorrow, the sorrow of, the, of those mothers in Bethlehem, as well as our sorrow, even today. What Matthew wants us to see is that God is also our Heavenly Father who loves us with an everlasting love. He wants his readers to hear that, that as he hears the cries of Rachel, he hears the cries of the women in Bethlehem, and he hears our cries as well. That he has come to turn our mourning to joy and to say to us, weep no more. What Matthew wants us to see is that the Lord is now fulfilling the promise that he had made so long ago. That he's now making this new covenant which he promised. That, that Jeremiah had spoken about so long ago. What, what Matthew wants us to see is that the righteous branch, the sprout of David's line is here and his name is Jesus. He wants us to see that the earth has indeed received her king. Amen? But the earth has not, as Roger said, we have not just received any king. We have received the king, the one that Jeremiah talked about, the one that the Lord has promised. We, we've not received any king, but we have received a divine king. One of, as Roger said, one of infinite value. Who, who has taken on flesh who's become one of us in order to make atonement for our sin, in order to make things right. He has come to bring an end to the exile. To say to those who are living in faraway lands or far distant ways from him, to say, it's time, you can come back. And he has prepared the way so that all those who cry out to him as king can now return to him so that all those who cry out to him can know that they have indeed been restored that's the promise of this passage that's what Matthew wants us to see that's why it applies to us now Christmas without question is it is a time for us to look back on the history of God's people it's a time for us to, to look back on all the ways in which the Lord has remained faithful. It is a time for us to look back and remind ourselves that, that this righteous branch, this sprout from David's line, that, that our king has indeed come. It is a time for us to remind ourselves of all that has been done on our behalf. But here's the thing that I want us just to consider um, as, as we begin to celebrate Christmas the next day and a half. Our hope is not just rooted in the past. The joy that, that we find is not just based upon the things that he has done, but, it, but it, our joy is also re, rooted in the future. Our hope is found in the future as well. Christmas is also a time for us to meditate on the promises that have been given to us by the Lord himself. 
It's, it's a time for us to meditate on the promises that have been filled, but it is also a time for us to meditate and hold on to the promises that have not yet been filled that are still given to us. Regardless of how difficult life is, regardless of, of what you might be faced with, the reality is we are a people who have been given a great hope. That we have not just a king, we have a divine king. One who is of infinite value. Who, who, who loved us enough to lay down his life for us. That's what this child has come to do. And it is him who we have come to worship this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we prepare to, to come this evening, may we be reminded tonight that, that your throne in heaven is surrounded by angels. It is surrounded by, by saints, by our loved ones who have gone before us. And they are experiencing firsthand what we long, what we participate in now, but we long to see in the future. May we be reminded that this morning as we worship and tonight as we worship, that we are, are joining in to a cloud of witnesses. We are joining in to an even greater form of worship before you, praising you for your mercies and for your goodness. Lord, you are a king. You are a king of infinite value. You are a king that, that sees our wounds, sees our sorrows, and says to us, weep no more. You are a king who has who's provided all that we could ever ask for. We praise you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.